For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The book of Proverbs spends a good deal of time talking about avoiding seduction and keeping oneself morally pure. In chapter 7, we have a father's impassioned plea to his son to cling to the Word of God and so avoid the painful destruction that comes with sexual immorality. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Staying Clear of Jezebel. Alrighty, good evening. Let's dive back into perhaps my favorite book in the Bible, surely in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, and not before asking the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, just a book filled with wisdom and sound bites of truth and ways that we could live productive, effective lives and avoid the, the snare that's set uh, before us from our spiritual enemies in this world. And so help us, Lord, to hear what your spirit is saying to each one of our hearts. Lord, we all need wisdom. We're all uh, vulnerable to spiritual attack, especially the kinds of temptations that are mentioned tonight here in chapter six and seven. So help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as I mentioned in the prayer, we're in chapter six, finishing off the last uh, portion of it, and the same topic spills over into chapter seven, which we'll take a look at tonight. Uh, here in chapter six, now uh, King Solomon has listed, you'll recall, four kinds of guys that he does not want his son to become like. So he holds up four bad examples. Uh, the first example was the gullible, naive, uh, man or person who puts themselves uh, at risk financially. The second person he doesn't want him to become like is the lazy man. Uh, uh, the lazy man is just inviting uh, poverty and all kinds of trouble. Uh, the third kind of person he says, please don't become, is the mischief maker, always getting into trouble. No matter how many birthdays the guy has, uh, even when he's old and gray, he's still, you know, paying off uh, citations and fines and problems and getting tossed into jail. Uh, always things like being arrogant, violent, and divisive and deceptive. Those are just fourth of the seven things that God hates about that kind of person, as uh, we saw last week. Now, the fourth kind of guy we didn't get to last week because it spreads out, as I said, over a chapter and a half. The fourth foolish example is the man who gets caught in sexual immorality, uh, specifically adultery. And so this is how the chapter closes out. And now an extensive look here at a man who can uh, ruin his life through the sin of, as I mentioned, sexual immorality or adultery, starting at verse 20. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your uh, heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. And so you see the direction we're headed. We'll pause there. Uh, the chapter uh, unfolds and spills into to chapter 7 in the following way. I have the four points for you. Uh, first, there's this impassioned plea that we just heard, really, to heed the word of God. And then will come a dire warning against stupidity and the dreadful consequences of adultery. And then a quick call to vigilance to cooperate with the word of God. And then a tragic story. A foolish young man destroys himself in full uh, vivid technicolor, as it were, in front of our very eyes. And we're to learn vicariously uh, through that picture. And so back to the text. What we have here tonight is really the anatomy of adultery. Uh, really, he's going to dissect the thing from start to finish 
and uh, we are going to see the sad example of this foolish uh, youth who has, uh, makes foolish decisions and, and, and really, in, in one sense, uh, brings on destruction and destroys himself. And, and so it's a chapter and a half long, and it's, not, it's the second time we've heard this long discourse about adultery. And there's a reason, of course, for that because we are so vulnerable to this kind of sin. And also, the Bible calls uh, sexual immorality one of the more uh, serious of sins. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul says, every other sin is outside of your body. So you steal something, and it's just you steal something, right? But when you commit sexual immorality, you're sinning against your own body, soul, and spirit. So it's, it's a spiritual, emotional, mental sin that just sears the entire being, your three parts of you, body, soul, and spirit. And so uh, that is why there are frequent prohibitions to sexual immorality and, uh, and, and um, admonitions for moral purity. And so he starts out uh, where it all, all, all should begin the foundation in the home. So he's going to, uh, an urgent plea to remember to keep uh, in his heart what his uh, believing parents had taught him. And so uh, Rehoboam is blessed in that he has a believing father and a believing mother who from the time he was just a toddler and learning how to talk, I was teaching them the, him the Ten Commandments and the, the ways to live his life, faithfulness, the, the, the sanctity of marriage, uh, monogamy, uh, self-control, discretion, the fear of the Lord, integrity, uh, righteousness, and then, of course, the straight-up commands, thou shalt not covet, and thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, thou shalt not covet is commandment number 10, and the commandment not to commit adultery is uh, number 7. Do you, I'm thinking of the hand uh, the gestures that help you remember the commandments. Let's just start at 5, just for the sake of time, but... Uh, Commandment number five is to honor your mother and father. Commandment number six is do not kill. Commandment number seven is do not commit adultery. That's a sexy walk, all right? Okay, you can't tell that, all right? Thou shalt not uh, steal, number eight, right? Or you're going to be in jail. Commandment number nine is uh, don't lie about people. Don't make up stuff. Don't lie. And then commandment number 10, thou shalt not covet. Give me, give me, give me. And so, uh, you know, there you go. You want me to do one through four? Come on. You know, you know. Come on, everybody's doing that. Commandment number one, no other gods. That's an easy one. Number two, don't bow down to any idols. See, number two, two, bowing down. Get it? <laughs> number three. Three, I think it's, oh, don't misuse the name of the Lord, but I forget why there's three like that. Oh, it's like this. Don't do it. Don't say OMG. Don't, just, just don't do it, all right? Number four. Oh, I got it. Number four, remember the Sabbath day. You make a little church steeple with the two. One, two, three, four, church steeple. Okay, never mind. Oh, I, what I really like is the five, the fifth commandment. It's this one, but I, I prefer honor your mother or father or get a spanking. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> commandment number 10 and 7 are... are are already taught to Rehoboam, which is really nice. And so uh, he grows up with believing parents. Now, some parents uh, will stumble their own children. They neglect, they're not believers, and so, you know, uh, they don't know any better to, to raise their children that way. And, and, and some will just really... Worse than neglect, but set them up for a disaster. I had a, a friend in high school whose father was encouraging him uh, to lose his virginity. 
And uh, that is not as infrequent as it may uh, sound. And so there are parents who are just complicit. They let their, complicit. They let their kids date when they're 12, 13, 14 years old. Uh, they let the boyfriend stay over, or they let, let the boy move in sometimes. I hear it all, all the time. And so, you know, I'm, if, if that's the case out there, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, uh, but I, I've seen it throughout the years. So instead, uh, Solomon can say to a select few, uh, what your dad and mom taught you from the time before you even could figure out what the words mean. Keep that in your heart, right? Don't forsake that. And so uh, he says, solder them to your soul, chain them uh, to your heart. This is the word of God and let the word of God uh, do its work. And you see that in the text that's staring there. Uh, let, let me uh, quote another scripture about the... Uh, the effective nature of the word of God, the powerful uh, nature of it. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Psalm 119. By living according to your word. He says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Listen, uh, the shortcut is moral accountability partners, um, uh, conferences or books or programs. That's all well and good in counseling. That's fine. But, but the Bible, it's the word of God is the solution. It's the answer. It's the power. It has the ability to transform us. It transcends human knowledge. It's the word of God that will save you from all kinds of sin. It's the word of God that needs to be on board, engaged. And not just that you know the scripture, but you're activating it daily by faith, by a living daily relationship uh, with our living God. Notice in your text what it says, the word of God will do for you. The commandment of the Lord will guide you. It does the work. It will guide you to safe passage through dangerous terrain. They will watch over you, your text says, through uh, unseen dangers. It goes on to say they'll speak to you. The Bible is living. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 calls the word of God alive and active. There's a voice. It's like a GPS, God's protection. Uh, I've got to think fast here. God's protection services. How about that? All right, GPS is that he's speaking to you throughout the day. You see through traps. You, you can understand what's going on in your, in your situation. So he says, get the word of God on board. Uh, the word of God is like guardrails to our soul. And he says, keep those guardrails in place. I've got a picture of it's a dangerous place out here. One wrong turn and you're off the cliff without guardrails. It's the word of God, right? Let me show you this. Look, this is a dangerous road to be on without guardrails. Can you imagine that? It's somewhere like in Bolivia. There's a, here's another picture. This is in India. That is not my head. I have been to India, but I would not go up there unless God Almighty told me to. But can you imagine that's like the number one most dangerous road? But people, spiritually speaking, they're out there with no guardrails and, and whipping around those turns and one wrong move, you, you know, and all is lost. So you can go back to the scripture. So uh, it will be especially helpful, son, when you're tempted, he says, to have God's commands uh, stored up in your heart, especially when you're tempted in uh, the realms of sexual immorality. Verse 24 now tells us where we're headed Tonight, the bad guy in the story is actually a woman, uh, sadly, who sets her sights on this uh, young man. Uh, it's like Mrs. Potiphar of old. And so despite the guardrails and boundaries, uh, she's described as reckless. Uh, she's described as evil. That word there to describe her in verse 24 uh, means morally corrupt or worthless in her actions. And also the wayward word means stranger or foreigner. In other words, 
uh, she doesn't recognize the covenant of God's people. So God's people have a way of doing things, but she's outside the covenant. Or, or she may be inside, but she's ignoring it as if she were a, a, a stranger or a foreigner. And so uh, before we meet her, and let's call her Jezebel, uh, before we meet Jezebel in person, Dad has some wise words about lust, seduction, and painful consequences. Here we go, verse 25. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. Yet if he's caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury, and he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse the bribe, however great it is. And so we're at second point here, some dire warnings. Uh, and so he's hoping Junior is listening all right, because uh, we're going to talk about the birds and the bees. This would be like the birds and the bees on steroids. Uh, really, it should be called, the, you know, the, 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 the vultures and the killer wasps or something like that if you're going to sit your kid down. I would use the Proverbs to bring up the subject with our teenagers and say, check this out, let's talk about it. I mean, it goes pretty deep, and he, I mean, he pulls no punches, amen? He just lays it out there. You're really quiet tonight, and it's making me nervous. <laughs> All right, so dire, dire warnings, not really. <laughs> I'm used to it, just kidding. Starts in the home with strong biblical foundation and begins in the heart with the battle of lust. And so, first of all, God-given natural affection and attraction is given to men and women for marriage. And so, for bonding and intimacy and pleasure. Uh, it's not meant to be nurtured in ways that God never intended. And so the word here in your text that's staring at you is lust. It is a perverted, self-gratifying desire. It's a corruption of the natural God-given attractions that we have uh, for the, his design, our spouse. Um, and so the word hamad there in uh, do not lust after her charm and beauty is the word to covet, and it's the same word from commandment number 10. Uh, do not covet what your neighbor has. Do not covet anything he has. Do not covet his wife is really the first way it is put. And so uh, God expects all men <clears throat> and women, for that matter, to exercise self-control, and self-control is something that we must learn. Not to crane our heads, men, gentlemen. It's just so unbecoming of a Christian a man to uh, crane his head when a pretty girl walks by. It's just, you're just not training yourself to avert your eyes and to take control of your own thoughts. We're supposed to be taking our thoughts captive by the power of the Holy Spirit, men and women, young men and old men, young girls and older women. Uh, this is our responsibility uh, to exercise self-control. I think I told you this story. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, there was a woman and, a, and her husband, they were shopping, and she's going through the clothes, and he's dying a thousand deaths because he's shopping, going through a thousand sets of whatever it is. <clears throat> and, you know, comes the clacking heels down the the, 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 the lane there and uh, he's just bored and he, he sees this pretty girl and his head, his eyes just follow ever so discreetly you know his wife's really busy she doesn't notice anything and she just 
and he just watches her go by, you know, and then he goes back to whatever, and his wife just doesn't even look up and just says, I hope that was worth it. I hope that was worth it, because wives catch everything. They know. They have radar. <clears throat> but it's so unbecoming of a guy to do uh, that kind of thing. I think I told you also about the employer, the corporation I read about, uh, that when they interview young men <clears throat> out in the waiting room, uh, they, what they do is they, uh, they have a hidden camera, and they have one of their pretty girl employees walk through and just kind of make a little bit of a scene and walk through there. Maybe she drops something and she walks by. And they watch him. And they watch how he behaves. And they do not hire the guy who cranes his neck and makes a big scene. They hire the guy who exercises professional self-control because they don't want a womanizer. They don't want a guy with out self-control. I'm good. Thank you, though. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it's really important to start uh, taking charge of that. What did the Lord say? He said, if, you're, if, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, man, near and dear as, as your eyeball. It's better for you, he says, to go to heaven with, a, with one eye than to uh, be thrown into hell. And that kind of behavior will keep you from a saving relationship with God. He says, then, you know, it'd be better for you to go to heaven with one eye than to be thrown with both two good eyes that do a lot of lusting, you know, into the lake of fire. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, here's what he's saying. Don't fall for charm and beauty that's misused. It's only outward in this case. Flirting eyes and seductive uh, eyes that, you know, uh, what's her name? Jezebel really uh, was noted for painting her eyes seductively and the lashes. The, the Hebrew is the lashes, the fluttering of the lashes. He says, don't go for that. And he mentions smooth flattery, which men are such suckers for. All she has to do is make a comment about muscles or, you know, your courage or, or anything like that or how much money you make or nobody's as smart as you. And the guy's just like uh, putty, you know? So he says, don't, don't fall for that kind of stuff. So uh, here he goes. He says, can I please reason with you, son? Here are some reasons to sidestep seduction because essentially what he's saying is the price is too high. Um, for the temporary pleasure of sexual immorality. The price is too high. First of all, he, he reasons, one, she doesn't care about you. Not that it matters to a guy who's sinning, uh, but sometimes it does. Uh, she does not care about you. Uh, the idea that she reduces you to a loaf of bread means you're just one item on her shopping list. Eggs, cheese, milk, loaf of bread, and John. You know, it just doesn't matter to her. She's just using you, you know? And so maybe that guy would say, well, I don't care about her either. Well, then you're a good match. You're a match made in hell, actually. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and you're going to set out to destroy yourselves, and, and you're equally, uh, you know, equipped to do that, apparently, because you both don't care about each other enough to take each other down and destroy each other. Uh, now, she's really, really seen really as a hunter. And so, and it could be the guy or the gal, right? But the person who's aggressing is, is in God's eyes, uh, the hunter. And, and here's the point. The hunter doesn't care about the prey. Wants to destroy the prey. That's the understanding here. So it's, uh, he goes on to say in verses 27 and following, it's impossible to escape unscathed from an affair uh, of that type. So two illustrations uh, that involve fire. So really, he's saying, listen, son, when you're dealing with sexual immorality, you're dealing with fire. And so the first one, and it's a rhetorical question, to ask the question is to answer the question. The rhetorical question is, can a guy scoop hot coals into his lap and not catch his clothes on fire? You know, and, and the answer, of course not, 
right? And the next answer is, can you walk on hot coals and not burn your feet? Well, some fool will say, I saw Oprah Winfrey do it on TV, you know, and she did, apparently. You know what? Good luck to you if you're going to try, try it and follow in the footsteps of Oprah and her gurus. Not going to happen. You're going to get burned feet, all right? And so he, he, he's going on to really say, here's what he's saying. It's inevitable if you sin sexually, you must pay. As it is with fire in your lap, sexual sin to your soul, you will burn. 100% of the time, every time. You may not even feel it. You may think you've gotten away with it, but you haven't. There are, are, are painful consequences. And so it's a spiritual law. That's what he's trying to say in verse 29 here. Uh, that uh, you play with fire when you sin in those kinds of ways. And so uh, verses 30 uh, through 33 now, he comes to contrast uh, uh, between, he wants to contrast um, adultery against another sin to point out how serious adultery is. And so that's in keeping with Paul's comment in the New Testament that it is one of the most uh, serious of sins. Don't let anybody tell you sin is sin. That's just not true. Come on, common sense. Yeah, technically, yes, you can argue that. But common sense, a white lie versus blasphemy or murder, come on. There's, there's gradations of sin and sexual sin is on the top of the list as dangerous and most condemnable. So uh, be careful with that. Think about that. People, uh, here's his point now as we work. Follow me in the text, okay? Uh, people sin for all kinds of reasons. And he says, you know, there's poverty. And there are, here's what he's saying. There are reasons people sin, and some of the reasons we understand and kind of resonate with in a human fallen way. We can understand a guy who's starving to death, who's going to break through the glass and get him some bread. All right, we understand that. Or if somebody uh, murders somebody's kid or, or, or hurts somebody's wife, and the guy breaks the law in vengeance, right? There, that's a sin. That, that's bad. Uh, he will be punished sevenfold, and it may cost him everything, but there's some sort of human justification in our minds, even though it'll never be justified in God's sight. So he's saying, yeah, we can get some kinds of sin, but the guy who goes after another guy's wife, he says, is brainless, is in the Hebrew, without a brain. Because there's no reason. You can't say, oh, well, you know. There's no, oh, well, you know, you know. There's no, well, the guy was starving, right? No, nothing works. There's, there's just no grounds for it. It's, it's a complete uh, void of brain uh, move, and that's what, he's gonna, that's what he's talking about here. There's no even twisted human-based justification uh, for it. Now, here's what he's saying. Moreover, he says... Thieves can repay. Thieves can make it right. Sevenfold, fines and all of that. That's a lot of money, right? But there's a bottom to it, okay? You can steal something. You can do your time or, or pay it back and pay all the fines, and it's done. You hit the bottom, and now you can bounce up. But he says with adultery and sexual immorality, there's no bottom. It keeps going. It can go through generations. It can pass on into families. And the woundedness and the chaos and the brokenness, you, it just, it's just in the shame and the pain and the blows and the disgrace. He says it's just endless. He's saying, son, you know, pick your sins. Pick your sins and don't pick that one because that's a bad one. That's going to cause you a lot of problems. Now, he says the grief and the pain, uh, the consequences, they can last a lifetime. So we've seen a dire warning given. And uh, now he's going to say just avoid the whole ordeal by clinging securely back to the word of God. Uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. 
So now that he's kind of stirred him up and maybe he's looked at Rehoboam's face and his eyes are popped open. I mean, those were kind of harsh and uh, straightforward words. And so now he's, he's got him and he's like, hey, man, I got, I got the answer for you. One through five right here. My son, keep my words then. Store up my commands within you. There'll be no problems. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. And call understanding your relative, your kinsman. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife and her seductive words and all of these dreadful consequences. So we're at point number three, a call to vigilance. Now, you see, from a father who's urgently trying to protect his son, right? And that's really the context of the book of Proverbs. Now, truth never changes. The remedy, the answer, the way out, the way to avoid, it always comes back to the word of God. Always. The word of God, the word of God, the word of God. It's the word of God that will keep you safe and set you free and heal your heart. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. So perhaps uh, Junior, you know, and, and when I say Junior, I mean, he's 17, 18. He might be 20. He might be in his early 20s. He's a full-grown man, right? And, and so maybe he broke out in a sweat, and you know. Uh, so it's the perfect time to say, hey, son, listen, I already told you. So he says, well, let me just go down the six verbs. You're looking at six action verbs. He wants his son to cooperate. The word of God does the, the powerful work. And he's asking, as the New Testament is asking all of us, to cooperate with all our might to strive with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God within us. Six action verbs here. Number one, he says, keep, keep my words. He says, don't lose them, don't misplace them, don't forget them, don't neglect them. Number two in your text, the action verb is store up. Make room for them. You know, I know there's a lot of do's and don'ts in the Bible, but make room. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. And number three, guard them as something very precious to you. The apple of your eye, the apple of your eye is your pupil. So back thousands of years ago, that's that phrase, the apple of your, of your eye, uh, had to do with the preciousness of the pupil to your eyeball and sight right? And so he's saying, guard the commands that you know about living life in moral purity as you would something as dear as your own eyesight. And then the fourth action verb, he's asking us to cooperate. He says, bind them on your fingers. Keep the commands in eyesight. You should be reading your Bible, listening to the Bible uh, in worship at church when you can hear the word of God, you are always better off. Bind them on your fingers. And then five, write them on the tablet of your heart. The idea is to etch or to tattoo. Now, if you want to get a tattoo, I would suggest this. All right, uh, on the inside. Now, I don't know how that will work to get the tattoo artist to get uh, uh, that done on the inside of the tablet of your heart. Uh, but that's the only place I would get a tattoo. But, you know, be that as it may. Uh, he wants you to, from within, always, 100% from the core of your being, always have the commands of God right there. It's every single sin, every single failure, every single falling short has to do with distancing yourself from the word of God. God, something gets in between, you get distracted, your gaze gets pushed over here. But if you got the word of God in these six action items here, these six action verbs, I should say. And then he says, consider wisdom, your sister. What does he mean by that? He's saying wisdom and the word of God and the way of the straight and narrow path. Your sister, your sister to a brother is, is somebody you love and somebody who is close by and permanent. She's always your sister. You always know where she's at. You always love her. And there's always a, there's a tie between you and a loved, well-loved relative like that. So he's saying, may the word of God be that way to you. You always know where it is. 
Some of us, oh, where's your Bible? You don't even know where it is right now. You know, that's not good. You should have a Bible in your car, a Bible on your app, a Bible app. You should have Bibles everywhere. I have one all over the house, you know, and I have a few in my office as well, as you might imagine. <laughs> so he goes on. Oh, here we go. It's time to meet Jezebel, all right? So he's already said, okay, now I've told you once again about the word of God. Now, let me show you about a guy who ignored no six action verbs. I'm going to tell you a little story, Rehoboam. Once upon a time, at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. And so we're in our last point. We're going to divide it up and just kind of see how it's laid out. It's, the last point is a tragic story. And here's how we wrap up tonight. We're, we are to learn, as this young man is to learn a lesson um, but we vicariously by watching him step into the trap. So let's break it down. Let's talk about first the victim here in front of you. Uh, there projected on the screen. Now, he's a victim, but he's a willing victim. And uh, as many who fall into all kinds of sin, they are victims, but they're willing. They're willful about it. So he's called simple, all right? And there's a reason for that. It's not a compliment. Uh, he's, uh, the word means empty-headed, all right, and as a result of neglect. It's not that he's dumb. It's not about IQ problem. He's smart. He just hasn't applied himself, and therefore he's naive and kind of simple-minded uh, because he's lazy. Uh, he doesn't have to be simple-minded, all right, but he is. And so, uh, and check him out. He's headed in her direction, down to the bad side of town. And <laughs> he knows full well where he's going, what time of night it is, what time of day it is. And he knows who hangs out there. He knows all of that. And he probably doesn't have any intention of going all the way with it, but he wants to play around with it. Okay, he's simple-minded, you know, and to play around with sin is really the heart's way of reaching to sin, right? And so he's, he wants to play a little game. It's called, let's see how far we can get to the edge without falling over. And the problem with that game is, is you don't really know all the time where the edge is. And people who play that game fall over. Well, I didn't fall over the last three times I tried it. Try it again. It'll be the time or the time after that. So he's simple, right? Um, and so he's headed down to the tenderloin. You know, come on, I'm just going to go get a cup of coffee. You know, and it's twilight, and he knows what goes on down there. He's just, oh, man, we're all just, we're, we're dumb. We're just dumb. So wisdom calls out. It's trying to talk to him, speak to him, scream to him. Hey, what are you doing? It's nighttime. That's a bad area of town. You know your proclivity toward that kind of problem. Why aren't you taking action? Why aren't you going the other direction? Why not go to the mall, dumbbell? You know, <laughs> let's go to the mall. He's going to wish he went to the mall. He's going to wish he went somewhere else. He's going to wish he went to the batting cages or somewhere, anywhere. Go get a sandwich, whatever. <laughs> and instead, just terrible. So he doesn't flee in the opposite way. And the worst part of it for me is, is that he set himself up for the failure. Now, I've said this many times, and I need to say it again. If you have a problem or a weakness in a certain area, make sure that you put distance between you and the object of your lust. And there could be a list a mile long about various objects and problems in our Christian life. Uh, you know what? And I've, I've said this before the last time we talked about this. Change your gym or stop going to the gym. Or as somebody I just talked to said, uh, outside is free. 
Outside is free is a saying which means why pay for a gym pass when you can go running or biking or do something outside and get a tan and sunshine too, right? And stay away from her or him in the gym. We're just very dumb, you know? If you, if, I told you about the guy who got a, bar, a, a job as a bouncer in the bar and he's an alcoholic. What? Uh, okay, I'm okay now. So uh, quit the job. Uh, you know, move your desk. You're at the. Uh, you're in a classroom, and you know you get in the warmies. I call them the warmies. You get in the feeling like, oh, something's going to happen here, and it's the wrong thing to do. You you can sit somewhere else if you're in a carpool and something inappropriate is happening. You know there are other modes of transportation. Newsflash: you can take a bus. You know, just you have to start thinking for yourself and and for the sake of yourself. Who's going to rescue you if you don't want to rescue yourself? That's the problem with this dude and dudes like him. They're just like, duh, you know, they don't care. We look on and say, hey, man, you're about to fall. And, and they're not interested. As a safeguard, I go an extra step. And some of you have heard me say this. I say this all the time. I recommend that men and women not have friends of the opposite sex if they're married, okay? If the person is unmarried, a married person, a married man should not have an exclusive private friendship with a woman and vice versa. Okay, listen. When you are alone together, you are laughing, you are sharing. I don't care what you're doing. Well, I do care what you're doing, but what you're doing is you're bonding and you're sharing an experience, whatever it is, and of course it's harmless, and of course it's just you've been friends for years and nothing's ever happened, nor are you even attracted to each other, whatever. You are together and you're experiencing something that your wife or your husband is not experiencing, only you and that person. And I'm just telling you, from 37 years of doing this and 10 years of seminary and lots of time counseling people that uh, when I hear this, we never meant to hurt anybody. We never meant for this to happen. It came out of the blue. No one saw it coming. They didn't even see it coming. Use common sense, especially if you sense something could happen the only person you're supposed to be building a bond with is your wife or your husband. Amen? Yeah. Oh, that was lame. Try again. <laughs> come on. Come on. That's, that's just the way it is. Just pay attention. Pay attention. So this dude is playing dumb, and he's going to get pummeled. All right? So he's headed her way. And he's going to wish that he went left instead of right or the other way around. So 10 through 12. Then out came Jezebel to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. And by the way, she's loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. So we've talked about the victim, and now we can talk about Jezebel. Yeah, you know, the thing about it is... Do not put a straitjacket on this text. This text is meant to talk in wide application for sexual immorality and sins of all kinds of passions. Whether the person is married, one person's married and the other person, the, if the husband, if the male is married and the, and the female is not, or the female is married and the male is not, whether it's the male who's aggressing or the female who's aggressing, uh, or whether it's technically adultery or is it fornication, or they're both unmarried and consensual, and that's called fornication. So this 
text and these stories and illustrations are being used for a broad stroke of how Satan works in our lives and how sin deceives us and how temptation seduces us. And so don't just be, don't be careful to just say, well, you know, technically I've never done that and I don't, I can never see that happening. Just let the word do its work in your heart and life because we all know it could be the other way around with the, with the gal or the guy being the aggressor and all of that. And so there's lots of applications here, but just this is uh, pretty straightforward. And so uh, we talked about uh, the victim, and now we've got uh, the seductress. What a terrible word. And what a, what a paradox, how it describes her. She's dressed in an outward way that's obvious to trap him, right? But inwardly, in the Hebrew, it says she's concealing her shameful intentions. So on the outward, it's really obvious, right? And, and she's using that. And then on the inward, she's got a secret design to do this fellow harm, right? So uh, from within the shadows, from where she's lurking, as light is fading, she comes uh, to meet him. So she's described uh, inward, her inward disposition is described as turbulent and rebellious and restless and just, just like the devil, just like the devil. And who's behind all kinds of sexual temptations and, and a lot of temptations. Not every temptation because we have enough problems with our own sinful heart, James says. But the devil will take advantage and he will come to us like a roaring lion and in many ways the seductress or the seducer male is very much empowered by the spirit of this world and the spirit of the devil who seeks and prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Oh, very reminiscent language here of the devil. And so here she goes. She goes and moves him for the kill. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she says, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I found you. Oh, lies. Verse 16, I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband's not home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his satchel filled with money and will not be home till full moon. All right, so we've seen in the tragic story the victim the seductress, and now the strategy. So she moves in for the kill, like I said. She grabs hold of him and gives him a brazen kiss, uh, really staking her claim on him, right? She's just, just saying, I'm going to conquer you. And so she does that. Uh, verses 14 through 18, really, she, she's a twofold strategy. One is she's going to plant a very powerful fantasy in it. Fantasy in a guy's mind is a very powerful and poisonous thing. That's why Jesus says, take every thought captive, gentlemen and ladies. He, she paints this lie, this fantasy, and this flattering invitation. You know, that's what's so, you know, it's all about you. I looked for you. You know, I, I looked for somebody like you, and finally I found you, my soulmate. There you are. It's you. You know, and it's just a lie because it's the one item on our grocery list, the loaf of bread. Uh, verses 19 through 20. And then she assures him they have nothing to fear. So number one is to plant the, the poisonous fantasy. Number two is to assure, hey, uh, we'll never get caught. You have nothing to fear. Uh, strange uh, saying here, I have just... Uh, I made fellowship offerings and fulfilled my vows. Oh, this is the worst part. Oh, she's saying in accordance to Levitical law that she'd been to the temple. She just made some vows to the Lord our God. And she's got leftovers because they usually did. And they were supposed to enjoy them with the priest in a communal meal. So, she, so a fellowship offering or slash called, so called peace offerings were made to God, and, and you could make a vow with it. And so here's what she's saying. 
She's saying basically, I'm a good person and I got leftovers at home. That's what she's saying. So I'm a really good person, man. And, and that is the thing of sin. Sin will make you crazy enough like the Pharisees. They were so immoral. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. They were filled with rotting death, dead men's bones and corpses. But on the outside, they looked beautiful. And they thought they were good, righteous people. That's what sin will do to you. It will, make, it will warp the way you think about life and the way you understand your own self. You know, he's, he's standing in the temple. Oh, I thank God that I'm not this guy or that guy, and I pay my tithes, and he's praying to himself, the Bible says, the Pharisee. It's just, it's just terrible. What a hypocrite. It's just like the mafia. You know, they go to mass before and after they kill somebody. Uh, they're churchgoers, you know. My word, my word. And so she just says, I've been to church, and it's all good, and I've got all this food at home, and no one to share it with. But thankfully, I've been looking for you, and I've found you. So here's what she's saying. She has a prepared table. She has a prepared bed, and she has an empty house. I don't even want to talk about that whole center there. That's self-explanatory. It's just a big, fat fantasy lie. Um, so she says, my, my house is empty too. Uh, my husband, he's gone for a month. New moon means he's gone for a month and he's taken a sack full of money. The problem with husbands who go away is that sometimes they come back unexpectedly, right? <laughs> and, and that's why we have this show called Dateline, right? <laughs> and 2020, where, where tragedies often unfold. By the way, I don't watch anything like that. I know about them. I do not put that stuff in my head. I cannot. I just can't bear it. So whenever anything gruesome or dark comes on, anywhere, television, books, magazines, news articles, I stop reading. I, I, I'm not the kind of person who does well with that. Anything about kids being hurt or I just, I don't, I, I won't go near it. So anyway, tw all that to say 2020 uh, does have something to talk about uh, because husbands come home unannounced. Yeah, I thought it was the new moon I was expecting you. Yeah, well, surprise. Okay, 21 through 23. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is like a, an artist with words, right? I think he's trying to get a point across here. <laughs> and here's the point he's making. It's not a pretty picture when you surrender yourself to sexual temptation and sexual immorality. And so we've seen the victim, the seductress, the strategy, and now uh, she moves in for the kill, right? And here's his surrender. Now, how long did he ponder it all? <sighs> Seven seconds? Not long enough. Yeah, that's a good answer. Not long enough. Well, look at that. You can almost see it happen on a guy's face where he's thinking, she has a husband, dude. That's not right. Even an unbeliever knows that she has vows to a husband, and it's probably not a smart and wise and good thing to do is to mess around with some guy's wife, even though she's pretty and she puts on false eyelashes and she's telling me all, everything I ever wanted to hear, right? He, can he figure that out? No, he can't. So there's that impulsive, passionate, I'm going to do this. And that's what's described there. All at once, like a snap with reality. Just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to throw caution to the wind. Let's do this. I'm in. So he opts for immediate temporary gratification in the here and now to risk everything rather than the long-term consequences to his own life, to his family, to his friends, to his eternal soul. All of that is tomorrow's problem. Right now, we've got this woman right here. She's saying all the right words. She's looking beautiful. I know what I want. She's, she really knows what she wants. I mean, she's laid it out, and um, he's going to go for it. 
And so there are three or four <laughs> dreadful metaphors here. The ox going to slaughter, I don't want to talk about that. Um, it's just a bloody mess. Uh, number two, and, and so, is, so, is he, so is he. Uh, a deer's hind leg getting caught in the noose and pulled up. Humiliation. That's what that stands for. Helplessness and humiliation publicly just dangling a deer upside down by the leg. And the saddest part of all is he stuck his own hoof in there. It's a hoof. That's what they call him. Number three, the bird flies straight into the net. The net goes up, and the bird's flying 80 miles an hour straight into it. Why? The bird, you know, the vision, apparently, not so good. And uh, <laughs> goes straight in. So what is, he's saying this about the kid. About the young man. This is him. An ox, just going straight in, bleeds out. The deer hanging upside down, swinging. And the bird straight into the net, lacking uh, foresight. Here's what Walt, uh, his last name's Walt Key. He's a very famous commentator. New International Commentary on the Old Testament. This is what he says about this paragraph. He says, stupid animals see no connection between traps and death. Morally stupid people see no connection between their sin and their downfall. Well said. Okay, let's finish up with the moral of the story. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. And so he's going to say, you know, wisdom and discernment will see past all the lies and the glitter and the poisonous fantasies that aren't true. And and. A mature Christian can always fast forward the tape, get to the end of the story. Uh, sometimes friends of mine have said, you know, when I'm tempted to sin, I always say, and then what? And then what? No, keep, keep saying it. And then what? And then what? Okay, so, okay, so I go to the house, A, B, and C happen. Okay, and then what? Then the husband came home. And then what? Right? Then there was a fight. And then what? Then everybody found out about it. And then what? Then my wife heard about it. And then what? Keep the and then what's. That's what wisdom does. And then what? Okay, yeah, so I've got a pornography problem. And then what? My wife found out about it. And then what? Well, you know what? We had to go to marriage counseling. And then what? Well, it didn't really work because she never could trust me again. And then what? And then she filed for divorce. And then what? Well, the two little kids. And then what? Right? Oh. But nobody stops to do the and then what? When it's like, take that thing. Or say that thing. Or think that thing. Nobody stops to just forward the tape. Forward the tape. That's wisdom. That's the word of God. That's the Holy Spirit. Screaming out and saying, think. Look before you leap. Think about this, man. Think about God. Think about eternity. Think about the judgment seat of Christ. Where it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 that every one of us Christians shall answer for everything done in the body, whether good or bad. That is a quote. We will answer for everything done in our body, whether good or bad. It doesn't end in condemnation. We enter heaven and eternal life. But we will give an account for everything everything, everything we've done. He's going to reason with us. And either it results in reward or loss of reward. Yikes. We talk about that a lot. And so she's, he, he says, number one, walk the other direction. Really, do yourself a favor. Walk with God. Keep his word close. Think through the temptation. Keep your distance. Stay straight on the path. Trust the Holy Spirit. Uh, number two, just so you know, son, she's taken down more than just you, millions. Listen to me. Millions of souls have been taken down by lust. 
millions. Do you know how many people will be in hell because lust stopped them from coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Millions. Millions upon millions of souls will perish. Why? Because of sexual gratification. What a terrible trade to trade that for eternal life. Yikes. That's, that's just a bad investment. And then he's, she, he says, a mighty throng, a mighty throng. Men, men who are stronger, smarter, and more noble than you, she has taken down. So remember that. So next time, my son in verse 27, next time, remember, son, behind the glitter, behind the colored linens from Egypt and the perfume and the myrrh and the alloys, aloes and the uh, cinnamon is the stench of death and an open grave. And you know why she needs all the myrrh and the aloes and the cinnamon and the perfume? To cover up the stench of the grave that's in the very next room. She, he says, if you opened a door in her house, whoops, I died, you know, where's the restroom? And you open one of the doors, you see stairs going down. Where did these go? Oh, to the grave. <laughs> to the grave. Yeah, to death and hell. That's where it all leads. And so he's saying, my sons, oh, the fruit of my body, the love of my life, the little baby that I held and gave life to, Please do not walk down the path that leads to her, whether she's on a street corner or if she's on the computer or on the internet. Because Jesus our Lord said that if you're lusting in your heart and going for it in the privacy of your own heart, you're committing adultery in God's eyes. And you can bring on the same devastation in the privacy of your own home at night with your computer and all of that. It's a terrible, terrible plague on the church of Christ. I cannot tell you the devastation in the lives of men, mostly men, not always. But who are those men with? They're with women. We're built and designed a little bit differently, which helps women stay a little bit safer. I cannot tell you, dear friends, the devastation, the, the plague upon the church and men in this church as well. This church, the men fair to, seem to do better because, and I'll tell you why, because there's heavy doses of the antibiotic of the word of God constantly, <laughs> constantly on. And if you go to this church, you've got a really like, <laughs> praise God. Listen, no guy can stick around this church and hear this kind of preaching all the time and live a duplicious life, a double two-faced life. You just can't, you wouldn't be comfortable here. So this church tends to do, it attracts more Bible-loving people, and Bible-loving people are listening to an hour. I want an hour. I've been talking one full hour to you. Who does that on a Wednesday night? Nobody. I told you about reading the book. Since I've gone an hour, I'm just going to go long. Okay, we're done. We're done. But let me just tell you, I, I was reading that article, a Christian blog, that the average person's attention span is 12 to 14 minutes, and that we should keep our sermons to 15 minutes. I was like, dude, you need to come to my church. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe 15 minutes shorter, Pastor Ross. I heard I can, I can deal with that. Uh, but so praise the Lord. It's the word of God. And uh, I want to close with a picture. Okay, you guys, we're all messed up. We've all sinned and fall short, right? And there are no doubt men in here who have committed adultery, and so women. I'm sure of it. Of course there are. That's his response always to somebody who has faith and is, is remorseful. 
and, and comes to him. And what does he say? I don't condemn you. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. But go your way and stop, leave your life of sin. Or something worse will happen to you, as he told one uh, guy he's dealing with. I just love that. We can be white as snow. His mercy's new every day. Yeah, listen. You may always be able to get right with God. And in fact, you always can, no matter what, while you're breathing. But the collateral damage of sexual immorality, collateral damage is those unintended, uh, unintended harmful things to, to unintended people that you've hurt, collateral damage. Their lives, you can't always fix what happens with sexual immorality. So please take it to heart. Just because we can be forgiven doesn't mean that you can fix everything. And there are a lot of lives in here that you're still dealing. We're all still dealing with those kinds of bad choices that live on, unfortunately. So we've got today and we've got tomorrow and we could just sow seeds of righteousness and walk the straight and narrow and be a blessing instead of causing people pain and sorrow. Amen? Amen. Now we can pray. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for the patience of your people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for a large portion of scripture that we got to finish, Lord, and with just very many valuable lessons. May we take them to heart. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand? Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.